Let's open up your Bibles to John chapter 3. And I will read John chapter 3, 1 through, we'll go through 15. I think that'll be far enough uh, for today. I don't think we'll be able to cover the whole of the chapter. And so John chapter 3, I'll read it and then we'll look at it in its parts. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven and the Son of Man. He is the, or except he who ascend, descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so before we dive into uh, this familiar passage, I want to briefly rewind us, because I think we miss an important contextual clue about what's going on with Nicodemus here by starting in chapter 3 instead of the very end of chapter 2. Let me read that very quickly. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then we read, now there was a man. And so what we have here with Nicodemus is he is one example of what Jesus, uh, what the Apostle John has actually just said in the end of chapter 2, uh, of a man who has believed in the name of Jesus. Why? Why has he believed? Looking at the end of chapter 2. Because they saw the signs. And Nicodemus then I would argue, is one such example of a man, a man who has seen the signs. And because he has seen the signs, he has believed in Jesus' name. And I would also note that to believe doesn't always mean savingly in the Bible. I think we're going to see that bear out in Jesus' dialogue with Nicodemus, that Nicodemus is not, in fact, a man yet born again. I think he does get saved later. Uh, But at this point, he's interacting with Jesus. It has not happened yet. 
And so now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And so Nicodemus is described in a couple of different ways. What are they? He's described as a man. We talked about that, probably referring back to uh, the man who believed in Jesus' name because the sign is one of those type of men. Uh, a man whom Jesus knows the inside of, the heart. But he's also described here as being of the Pharisees and a ruler of the Jews. Who, who can tell us what a Pharisee was? I'll keep asking questions, by the way, and I'm totally happy to stand here in silence. I have no shame, uh, so feel free to answer. You don't need to even need to raise your hand. Yeah, he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were learned, educated men. Educated in what? The law. Scriptures, especially the law, yeah. Not, you know, other stuff. They weren't generally educated. They were specifically educated in the scriptures. And then it says that he is a, well, one other thing about the Pharisees worth noting is that they believed in the resurrection, right? They were kind of the conservative theological party. They believe in the resurrection, they are waiting for the Messiah to come, and they expected that they, of all people, would be able to enter the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus is one of these sorts of men. He's also called a ruler of the Jews, probably that has reference to him sitting on the Sanhedrin as one of the, the 70 men uh, who were scribes and priests and these sorts of people. Uh, the point being on the whole that he is highly educated in the scriptures, and that he's a public official. He's a public official. I think that matters as we move on in the text. We're told this man came to Jesus, how? By night. By night. By night, when nobody could see him. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do again. Nicodemus, he's apparently seen or at least heard of these signs that Jesus has been doing. He has believed in some sense in his name. And now he, being a highly educated Pharisee and a, a, a public official, he, he goes secretly in the night by himself and he wants to talk to Jesus. And this is what he says. He calls him rabbi, teacher. Probably just a normal cultural term for, you know, respectful term for teacher. Uh, and then he goes on. He says he uses a different word, teacher. Um, the first one is rabbi. It's translated from Aramaic. The second one is uh, didaskalos teacher, but the whole point is he's recognizing him as a teacher. That's why he, he thinks of Jesus as some sort of teacher. But he thinks something more about Jesus. He's not just a regular run-of-the-mill scribe or Pharisee or Sadducee or some other religious teacher. Something more is happening here, right? Because he says, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so who, who does Nicodemus think Jesus might be? Possibly the Messiah. Certainly we are told in many places in the Old Testament that there are various signs that uh, we should expect and anticipate in the coming of the Messiah. And so it's possible that he thinks that he's the Messiah. Who else did great signs in the Old Testament? Prophets. Prophets. At least some of the prophets. Somebody like Elijah would come to mind. And there were anticipations and expectations that somebody like an Elijah would come again. Uh, proceeding, forerunning. Uh, the coming of the Messiah. And so it seems that Nicodemus, being a man educated in Scripture, is aware of these things. He's either seen or heard the signs. 
And up to this point, really, there's only been one that's recorded in the Gospel of John. It was the changing of the water into the wine. Uh, that was the, the, the main sign that's been recorded so far in the book of signs in the book of John. But Nicodemus is, is, is hearing or seeing these things, and he, he goes to Jesus because he has some expectation that Jesus is more than just a regular run-of-the-mill teacher. He is either a prophet or even perhaps the Messiah. Uh, he gives us uh, this statement, his rationale for believing this. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It's a much more charitable judgment than Jesus will get elsewhere when people accuse him of casting out these things by the power of Beelzebub uh, and doing mighty signs in the, in the name of the devil, essentially. So he's got a charitable assessment of Jesus. But what's interesting to me is what Jesus responds to Nicodemus with. Because that's, what do you say to a guy who comes up and says, yeah, we know, we know you do these signs and, and therefore we know that you, you are from God and God is with you. Uh, what do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Well, Jesus responds by launching into a doctrinal discourse on the new birth. He starts in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot seem, see the kingdom of God. Now, we know Jesus is the great physician. And good physicians don't give worthless advice that doesn't apply to people they talk to. Right? You come in asking about your knee, and I, I give you, you know, medicine for your, your, your head. You, know, uh, uh, you, you need cancer treatment, but I give you NyQuil. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus is a good physician. His response strongly implies that Jesus needs, or that, that Nicodemus needs to hear specifically about this teaching, the teaching of the new birth. And from that, I would reason, and from elsewhere, that Nicodemus is not yet born again. He needs to hear about the new birth because he himself has not been yet born again. Well, let's look at Jesus' response. He prefaces it with the words, truly, truly, that's amen, amen. He is making a sort of, I think in Spanish, they have the question mark at the beginning of the sentence. They'd use the exclamation mark in the, at the beginning as well. Is that, is that how that works? I think it's how it works, right? Uh, this is basically an exclamation mark at the beginning of the sentence that Jesus is saying, and his point is to, to emphasize that what follows is true and very important. Truly, truly, I say to you, that you, who's he talking to? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Somewhere in here these yous are plural, but some of these are singular. I believe that one is singular. He's speaking to Nicodemus directly. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, that's more generic, is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so, why does somebody need or want to be, we'll, we'll leave it for now, is born again? Why is, that, why is it necessary? Because you cannot see the kingdom of God. Yeah, you cannot see the kingdom of God, right? We think of some of the Old Testament scriptures where people are blind uh, to, to the, the spiritual things that are going around them, and then suddenly their eyes are open and they see racing chariots and warring angels and all sorts of magnificent spiritual realities. And that's much like what we see here. Jesus is saying, until you've been born again, you can't see these things that are going on. The kingdom of God is, is about the, the rule and the reign of the messianic king, and that's obviously Jesus. And Nicodemus has come wondering if perhaps Jesus is that Messiah, but he doesn't know yet, and he can't know yet. Why? 
because he has not received the new birth. And so Jesus is teaching him about the new birth. Now, significantly here, as we press on a little further, the, the language here is a little bit ambiguous. He says, unless one is born again. And that phrase, born again, uh, can be understood in one of two ways. It's properly an ambiguous phrase. If I were to say, uh, let's see here, how did it go? I think it was eat my fish, feed my fish. I had an illustration for this somewhere. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Here we go. Yeah. So if I were to say to you, truly, truly, the fish is ready to eat, what would you do? What, what am I telling you to do? Feed the fish. To feed the fish? The fish is ready to eat, so we need to feed the fish? How else can that sentence be understood? I'm going to go eat the fish. Now, <laughs> Pastor Brannigan's fish, his pet fish, has been eaten, and he's not happy about it because I, I wanted you to feed him food. And this, is, this, is, this ambiguity is built into the, this phrase, and we have to deal with it because it explains, I think, a lot of what's going on in the verses that come. Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. See, to be born again can either mean to be born again in the sense of repetition, or it can be, mean be born from above. It can mean either born again or born from above. One deals with repetition. The other is dealing with the source, the manner of birth. And which way has Nicodemus understood what Jesus has said? As repetition. Now, I will emphasize again, Nicodemus is not some dunce. Okay? He's a highly educated, I mean, I'm not saying there aren't PhDs in theology who are dense. But I don't think Nicodemus is as dense as he gets credit for sometimes when people read this passage. They're like, Jesus is over here clearly talking about spiritual things. And Nicodemus is over here clearly thinking about physical things and doesn't understand a word Jesus is saying. And so clearly he's just an idiot. That's not what's going on. Nicodemus is not dense in that way. He doesn't understand Jesus, but he wants to understand, and that is why he asks the question he does. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is not sincerely thinking that Jesus is telling him that in order to see the kingdom of God, you need to climb back up as an old man into your mother's womb. That's ridiculous. Incidentally, why do you think Nicodemus specifies old man? Any thoughts? He's old. Because he's probably the old man he's thinking about, right? Jesus is speaking directly to him. He knows Jesus is speaking directly to him. And so he's already got in his own mind, he's, he's putting himself into the situation. He's the old man. You know, young, men didn't, you know, young men weren't elders. And, and sometimes you go like, you, know, you see Mormon elders or whatever. They're like 20 years old, right? Uh, elders in Israel were old men. They were, they, were, they were not young men. And so he's probably the old man he's referring to. And he asked this question, not because he is so dense as to believe that this is actually what needs to be done to be born again, but because he wants Jesus to teach him. 
He's got a teachable heart. Uh, he's come to Jesus at night, uh, I think probably because he's a public official, and he doesn't want to cause a sensation, so he wants to go privately, even though he's representative of a larger group of Pharisees. Uh, we'll figure out in a minute. Jesus it was really trying to teach all of them through Nicodemus. But he's come privately at night to talk to Jesus, and he, he says that he, he, he recognizes Jesus as being someone but Jesus knows that he doesn't quite have it all together. He hasn't figured it all out. And he says, you need to be born again. But Nicodemus doesn't understand him. And so he asks this question in order that Jesus might clarify for him what he's talking about. And so Jesus responds. And he's going to clarify for Nicodemus, like a good teacher, exactly what he means. He starts by clarifying his terms. Let me read it again. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So what's changed between Jesus' first statement earlier in a verse, was it 3, and now in verse 5? Look at those two, verses 3 and 5. What's different? What's changed? Yeah, the ambiguity has been removed. What was before born again or possibly understood as being born of a, from above has now changed. And instead it says, born of water and the Spirit. And so the terms have gotten more specific. They're no longer ambiguous. But the question then becomes, what do these words mean, right? Are these words any clearer? And the reality is commentators are fraught with different interpretations about what these mean. In general, it's pretty clear, and I think our ESV renders it this way. The, notice S for Spirit is capitalized. Who's that referring to? The Holy, the Holy Spirit. That's an interpretive translation decision. It could be something more of a generic spirit, but I think in the context it's pretty clear that this is referring to the Holy Spirit. But what do we make of the water? Uh, there are a couple of possibilities. Some people will make this basically uh, about... Uh, baptism, right? They see the sacraments and everything. So water is clearly a reference to the water of baptism. Jesus is saying you need to be baptized and you need to be born by the Spirit. Kind of. And depending on your theological traditions, that can put you in different places, right? You, know, you could be a, a baptismal regenerationist who believes that somebody is regenerated by the waters of baptism and it's at that time that they receive the work of the Holy Spirit. Or you could be a Pentecostal and you see these as two different acts, disconnected acts. First you get baptized, and then you get born again by the Holy Spirit at a later date. There's a, there's a, there's a, a separate event of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need to avoid sort of both those extremes, dividing them into, merging them into one. Their third, more minor position is that the water here has reference to natural birth. And frankly, I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever, so I'm not going to deal with it. <laughs> if I can be honest. Now, the question, though, between the two, it, 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 Jesus is, is, is a teacher of the Scriptures, right? You'll, you'll, you'll realize as you study Jesus' words, he's always drawing from where? Is he just making stuff up as he goes? He's drawing from the Old Testament. And specifically here, he's drawing from Ezekiel 36... 
you'll turn there, Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. Somebody read that for me. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Amen. Amen. So what we have here is an Old Testament promise from God concerning the new birth. And he uses a variety of images, things like water, things like new heart, things like spirit. And these are all tied together in the same idea, not referring to a bunch of different things, but different aspects of the same thing, namely the new birth. And so this is what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about. I think it would be a mistake to, to make a point that this this sprinkling and this uh, spirit are two separate events, like I mentioned before, uh, referring to baptism of the Holy Spirit and uh, uh, separately from baptism. Uh, many Pentecostals take that, that direction. Um, but the other, the, again, the other ditch is what the Roman Catholics and some Reformed people actually are doing nowadays, which is to put efficacy of the sacrament and merge it together with what it represents, such that baptism uh, is referring to the waters and that the, or that the waters refer to baptism specifically per se, and that those are what regenerate you. That would be a mistake as well. I don't think Jesus is talking about baptism at all. It doesn't refer to baptism per se, uh, but one aspect of the new birth of which baptism is what? What do we say all the time? Baptism is a sign and seal. Baptism is a sign and seal. It's related to the, the doctrine of the new birth and that it, it is the thing that points to it. I, use, I love to use the illustration. If I pull over on the side of the street at the sign that says zoo, are my kids going to be disappointed or excited? They're going to be really disappointed because they're going to be sitting out on a median on the highway probably because it's not, sign says zoo this way, right? And that's how the signs function. They're meant to point us to the spiritual reality uh, of which they signify. And so Jesus isn't talking about baptism per se, but he is indirectly talking about it. Uh, just to be clear, Peter says elsewhere uh, that Jesus uh, was put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit, and that baptism corresponds uh, to this reality. It is not the reality, but it corresponds uh, to the reality. It doesn't save for the removal of of, uh, of original sin, as the Roman Catholics say, it doesn't regenerate our nature or impart the Holy Spirit. Baptism doesn't do any of those things. Yes? But, uh, so are you saying mm -hmm. that the being born of the water in verse 5 mm -hmm. and then the reference in Ezekiel 36 doesn't refer to the sacrament of baptism? I don't think it refers to the sacrament of baptism directly. I think it speaks to the work of the Holy Spirit, which is then signified by baptism. It's the Holy Spirit that ultimately is washing away our sins, right? He's the one doing the work. He's the one regenerating us. He's the one giving us a new heart. So you think yeah. it's talking about, okay, here's a metaphor for like cleansing. Cleansing, and yes. And yeah. then yeah. baptism right. signifies that. Reality. Baptism signifies the reality of the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit, yeah. The corruption, the guilt are washed away by the Holy Spirit. We represent that by baptism, yeah. 
Thank you. It's mm. that's really interesting to me. What about what about the close proximity though of like in, later on in the chapter they're talking about water baptism? In John? Yeah, and, and you know, down in verse twenty two, three twenty two. Jesus is baptizing, John's baptizing. It shouldn't surprise us. I think there 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 are there are what's the way to say this? There, are, I think there are plays on words and ideas a lot in the Gospel of John. I think specifically, you look at the example of the born again, born from above situation. Signs and realities are always super close together, and the 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 baptism that's going on is closely connected to the spiritual reality. So I don't I don't think the proximity itself should disturb us. I think when we read other texts like the one in First Peter, it's very clear concerning what baptism actually does. It's not washing away sin like the removal of dirt, right? It's corresponding to a spiritual reality, which is the death in the flesh of Christ and the life and the resurrection of Christ. And so we, we should expect that there's close sign correspondence to the thing signified. You know, you don't, you don't find the, the, the sign that says, you know, zoo, Greenville Zoo, you don't find that all the way over in Spartanburg, right? It's usually pretty close to the thing it's signifying. And that's the case with baptism. There's a very close connection. And so I, I'm not surprised that we see those, those things there so closely together. Now, so Jesus, the first thing he does, he's correcting you know, Nicodemus's poor understanding of what he said. He does so first by clarifying his terms. Uh, he, he replaces born again or born from uh, above with this idea of being born uh, of water and of the Holy Spirit, we say. Uh, and the, the, the result of this is he, he needs this in order to be able to see the kingdom of God. Again, that's what he's driving at. If you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to see the king of the kingdom of God, you really want to understand who I am, you can't do it yourself. That's Nicodemus' whole problem, right? What did he propose, in his, even in his question, even though he's not sincerely suggesting we climb back into the mother's, his mother's womb? Who's the agent in that suggestion, it says, can he enter? Who's acting? Nicodemus or the old man. And Jesus' whole point is going to be, you can't do anything. It's not about what you do. It's about what is done to you. That which is a born of the flesh is flesh. What does flesh signify in the Gospel of John, Scripture in general? You're just talking about like a pound of meat? No? You're shaking your head no. What what does it represent? Represents people, human beings. Yeah, people, people, human beings, specifically in a condition of being fallen in sin, right? Flesh has a negative connotation especially in the Gospel of John, he's saying that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He might as well be saying, can a, can a leopard change his spots? And the answer is really no, but his spots can be changed. We are born of the flesh, and so we are flesh. We are born of sin and in sin, and so we are sinners who sin. And we're in a totally different category of nature than that of spirit. Spirit representing Holy Spirit, especially here. Holiness, you know, the, the opposite of flesh, the opposite of sin. It's holiness and righteousness, this sort of nature. And we're in two separate species here. 
And there's no, no thing or no, no action that we can take to put ourselves in the other category. We can't be born again by crawling back and doing some, some action ourselves. He says, do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not where, know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so what Jesus is emphasizing to Nicodemus is that to be born again is a, a sovereign, supernatural work of the triune God uh, that is, is, is planned by the Father. It, it's, it's accomplished by the Son, and it's applied especially by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who applies the new birth uh, to a person. A person can't do anything uh, to be born again himself. Now he likens, he's a good teacher, right? So he's clarified his terms concerning the new birth. He's discussed a little bit about the nature of natures. Uh, but now he gives an illustration. You know, illustrations are helpful, right? Because we, we, we have an easier time uh, visualizing things uh, than we do uh, understanding them in the abstract. And so Jesus is a good teacher. He likens this, uh, uh, this new birth, especially the, the, the new birth, to the wind blowing, right? Is the, the wind blows where it wishes. Now, does the wind actually have volition? The wind doesn't choose where it blows in actuality, but in this case, the, the comparison is that the wind is really representative, not of the, the, the new, or new birth directly, but it's actually the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit is not an it, but a who. It's, an it, uh, it's, a, it's not an it, it's a he. The, wind is, the Holy Spirit is like the wind in that, it blow, or that he blows where he wishes. And, and the significant thing here is that we can sense it. it says, and you hear it sound. And so the new birth, we can't do it. We can't plan it. We can't, uh, we can't uh, kind of organize it and put it on the calendar. We can't do anything to affect it. But when it happens... Like the wind blowing, we can hear it, we can sense it. We know it when we see it, is his point. You hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, can we predict the new birth? Can we put up a sign that says... Revival, 10 o'clock, come be born again, just walk down this aisle and you'll be saved. Can we say, you know, just get baptized and you're born again? No, the Holy Spirit is sovereign. That means he doesn't work for us. He's not subject to us. He goes where he wishes. And when he goes and when he's present, we can sense it. We can sense him and his work. We, we, we can't do anything to, to affect what he does, right? He, because he's God, not an idol. That's really the difference, right? Idols, we think, we can manipulate. Idols, are, they do our bidding. Uh, they are subject to our will. But a sovereign, omnipotent God, he saves who he pleases. Nicodemus must be born again. He can't rebirth himself into a new nature. It's interesting to me. Jesus says, do not marvel. Wow. 
Why shouldn't Nicodemus marvel about these things? Clearly he is. He's surprised. He doesn't understand. And Jesus is telling him, you shouldn't, you shouldn't marvel about these things. Why? Any thoughts? Because he should have known about them. Why should he should have known about them? From the scripture, right? You think Nicodemus being a scribe, a Pharisee, sitting on the Sanhedrin, being highly religiously educated in the scriptures, a teacher of Israel, he'll be called a little bit later. Should he have known that the new birth was A, promised, and B, is something that man cannot affect on himself? He should have, right? You know, the, the, the constant rebuff that Jesus has against the religious leaders of their day is that they were ignorant of the scripture. That's really Nicodemus's problem, is that he should have known these things and anticipated these things, and he didn't. And that, 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 that is what Jesus is, is rebuking him for. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows, and he gives this illustration. And then he goes on, Nicodemus responds, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. It's a, it's a, nobody likes to be corrected by their teacher, right? It's kind of an uncomfortable feeling when uh, you give the wrong answer or you don't have the right answer and your teacher calls you out and it's manifestly obvious. Thankfully, this is in private, so Nicodemus isn't too embarrassed, but it probably doesn't feel good because... Jesus is correcting him here, and he should have known better. Yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, the you here is not referring to Nicodemus alone. It's plural. Uh, we need to pay attention to these things. I, I wish... That the, the standard convention of English followed the Southerners with a singular plural, you, y'all. Because it's very helpful when you're studying your Bible uh, to see the difference. Because Jesus is not speaking specifically about Nicodemus at this point. He's speaking generally about the party he represents, probably. He's likely in reference specifically to the, uh, the Pharisee party that he was one representative person of if not more generally to just the people who saw the signs and believed in Jesus because of the signs. I think there's something going on here, a distinction, right? You can believe in Jesus because of the signs he performed and not be saved. How? By not receiving his testimonies. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of talk of revival right now, right? Ashbury and whatever's going on up there, I don't know. I don't pretend to know. Uh, but what I do know is that the signs have a purpose, right? They point us to the things they signify. Uh, they, they, they point to spiritual realities. They point ultimately to Christ. And they are to, to, to their purpose is ultimately in the Gospel of John, this is important, the book of signs. There's a record of all these signs. And their purpose is that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that his teaching, his testimonies are true. And so believing in miracles in and of themselves doesn't really do anybody any good. 
is actually something of a negative thing. A, a miracle, a faith in miracles is kind of not ideal. Uh, we have Jesus rebuking him and the Pharisees. We do not receive our testimonies, and that's a problem. That's a problem. Jesus says, we speak of that which we know and bear witness to what we have seen. Any thoughts? Who's the we here? I think there are two possible answers. Go ahead. Yeah, we can either take this as being reference to sort of the, the plurality of persons in the Godhead, or I think less likely it can be like sort of an apostolic we talking about sort of... The problem with taking it the latter case is it's very early in Jesus' ministry. Later on, we'll see Jesus referring to we, and it refers to him and his disciples. But uh, it's so early in his ministry. I think it's more likely that this is Jesus saying that he and the Holy Spirit, they've seen these things. And it specifically says, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. And the whole point of the Gospel of John, right, is that where is Jesus from? Where is he from? Heaven. What, what was he? Well, yeah, heaven, yes. He, he wasn't a man who, who became God on earth at the laying on of the Holy Spirit as some heretical cults teach. He was God who came to earth and became man. He took on a human nature in the incarnation. And so before he was on earth as a teacher teaching these things, he was in heaven seeing and experiencing the reality of them, right? He speaks as, as, as a firsthand eyewitness uh, to, to all of these things. And so his testimony is to be received. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe me, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So he's just elaborating that same idea, right? He, he, he has come from heaven. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so he's making something of a prophecy, right? He's talking about the, the new birth. He's clarified the terms. He's given some illustrations. And now he, he's explaining, really, how, how, how then does one get the new birth, right? How, do, how does one get the new birth? Well, we're told here that, well, first, Jesus has to be, the Son of Man has to be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. It's a reference to an Old Testament story, the, the bronze serpent, right? And all the people of, uh, of Israel are healed as they look up the bronze serpent. Uh, the Son of Man must be lifted up. It's, a, it's pointing, obviously, to the cross that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So the question, how do, how do you have eternal life? It's by believing in Jesus Christ, right? It's interesting, man. I'll conclude with this. Nicodemus had a, a great theological education, uh, he was uh, in a conservative theological sect. Uh, he sat in public office uh, as a, an influential uh, public person. And yet he was not saved. And there was nothing he could do to be saved. 
there was nothing that he could do for himself to be saved, right? None of those things saved him. Uh, I make the point because we, we, we should not presume that somebody is born again, born from above, just because they are a religious leader or just because they are in a position of authority uh, in the church. Uh, these things do not save you. There's only one thing that saves you. It's Jesus Christ himself, and he has appointed that the way we are saved is by believing on him. You can go to Bible college, you can go to seminary, you can get your THM, your PhD. It does not matter when it comes to the new birth. It's a supernatural thing, and the Spirit will do what he will, where he will, entirely according to his own good pleasure. Uh, That should humble us. I think a couple practical applications as we wrap up. As you share the gospel with others, there are no notches in our belt. If, if, if the new birth is a super, supernatural act of a sovereign God, then we don't get credit for it. We can't affect it. If you have unbelieving family members, you share the gospel with them, you pray for them, but ultimately the, the person who needs to act in their lives is the Holy Spirit himself. We need to be absolutely reliant on God uh, when it comes to giving the new birth uh, to those whom we, we, we reach out to or we're evangelizing, we're praying. People come to church, we invite people to church. Uh, doesn't, doesn't really matter the details. We need to be absolutely reliant on God himself to save. Can't do it ourselves. As difficult as that may be able, as difficult as that may seem, right? Because we have... Maybe you have unbelieving family members and you're, you're, you're desperately wanting them to come to faith. You can't do it. Only God can do it. And he does use means, right? We know he uses means. So we should share the gospel. We should evangelize. We should invite to church. But don't get discouraged. I guess that's my point. Don't get discouraged because the new birth is ultimately a work of God. He has to do it. Any, any questions about the text, about Nicodemus' situation? I think we should uh, expect that Nicodemus probably gets saved sometime shortly after this because soon he's kind of speaking up in defense of Jesus and official functions publicly and then even at his burial he's involved in that process as well. Nicodemus is a man who was not born again but he came to Jesus and he asked Jesus questions and Jesus patiently answered his questions and eventually Nicodemus was born again. That should encourage us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the new birth and for the power of your Holy Spirit by which you have brought us back to life, uh, that we needed that washing of regeneration. We needed that new heart. We needed your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to bring us into union with Christ. And Lord, we thank you have done so. We pray that you would do so for our friends, our family members, our neighbors, those who we interact with, who we know are not saved. Uh, Would we share the gospel boldly? Would we pray persistently? Oh, but Lord, would you act? Would you call your people and say, we pray in Christ's name, amen.